We continue the uh, book of Nehemiah, and we're on chapter 8 this morning. I can't help but uh, just be, be reminded of how the book of Nehemiah and the, uh, the Ritter church renewal journey that our church is on, how they complement one another. Now, for those who are visiting with us this morning or, or those who've heard this term, Ritter word, and, and you're still wondering what it is, it's just keeping it simple. It's a joint ministry before, before, with the uh, Reformed Church of America and the Christian Reformed Church of North America. And it focuses on personal transformation. It focuses on transformation of the individual. But because individuals make up the body of the church, this personal transformation leads to congregational transformation. And uh, it leads to one end goal. And that end goal is missional living. Now, missional living means that wherever we are in our life, whether it be work or school or church or shopping or the movies, um, whether we're out for dinner or just in our neighborhoods, it is simply part of our nature to be mission-minded. It's recognizing that it should be part of our DNA to live our lives as Jesus lived, if Jesus were living our life today. It's not what would Jesus do, because we know what Jesus would do. He'd do everything right, perfect. But what would I do in obedience to God's will and being a Christ follower? So the Ritter Church Renewal Journey it includes a lot of information, I encourage uh, people to sign up for the Ritter Faith Walking Retreat on April 7 and 8. Um, you can get more information through your bulletins and from the brochures and uh, on the bulletin board that's uh, out in the hall. And um, if you sign up for this, you will receive a ton of information. But Ritter emphasizes that information is great, but transformation is even better. And transformation is when we put that information into practice. And we will also be given the tools and the time to practice. Chapter 8 in Nehemiah, as we're going to read it in a moment, it spans eight days. But we're going to be focusing on the first two days. The first day is talked about in verses 1 to 12. And in that day, the people receive information. They gather facts. They listen. And the information that they receive is great information because it's God's word. And then day two, verses 13 to 18, the people take that information and begin a journey of obedience and transformation. They take the facts and they practice the facts. They put them, they they practice what is preached. And then they see the big picture. They discern what God's emerging future for them is. But I think day two can be quite difficult. So let's turn to Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. And we'll read verses 1 to 18. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform 
and built for the occasion. And beside him on the right stood Mattathiah and Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And the Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. And they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and and sweet drinks, and send them to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Don't grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Don't grieve. And then all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees, to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in their courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra Ezra read from the book of the law of God, and they celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Thanks be to God for his word. So, to perhaps better understand this theme of receiving information which leads into transformation, I thought I'd provide you a bit of a story. It's a familiar story for many, and it's from the New Testament Gospel of Mark. In Mark 4, Jesus is teaching the crowds, and he's teaching the disciples in parables. So he's preaching and teaching, and he's talking about the kingdom of God and the importance of the word in the lives of God's people. Jesus is giving the crowds and the disciples a lot of information. It was kind of like an all-day conference. And then Mark 4, verse 34, Jesus was alone with the disciples, and then he explained everything to them. The teaching just continued, and they were receiving so much more information. Then in Mark 4, verse 35, which in this case is still the same day, Jesus tells his disciples to get into a boat. And he tells them to cross the Sea of Galilee. 
And what happens in this next evening is a severe storm comes up. And Jesus is at the stern sleeping. The disciples panic. And it's almost as if they cannot trust Jesus. They accuse Jesus of not even caring. After all, what he had told them, it's like this information has fallen on deaf ears. And Jesus, he's giving the disciples an opportunity through this storm to practice what he preached. That Jesus is in control of things. Have faith in him. And how this would lead to transformation. But too often, we people let the process stop at receiving information. And that day two of transformation, it's a difficult day. So day one in Nehemiah provides us with the context of people having settled into their towns. They all gather together in the square before the water gate. And Ezra the scribe and the priest has now entered into the picture Now, Nehemiah, he was great at organizing the group for the rebuilding of the physical walls, but now he is using Ezra's gifts for organizing the group for the rebuilding of the spiritual walls, for the rebuilding of the people. The physical walls and and, and the needs of the city were met. And Nehemiah was a great leader in this regard. But now it's time to focus on the spiritual needs, the spiritual needs of the people. And Ezra, the priest, was called as the leader for this important life ministry. Nehemiah was the guy who got the building project done, but Ezra was going to lead the people to instruct the people in the ways of the Lord. So here we have Nehemiah 8. And the first part of Nehemiah talks about the first revival. Ezra, the priest read God's word over and over again for many hours to the people. And for those who were here last week, perhaps some of you thought reading 73 verses last week was a lot. But Ezra read the book from daybreak until noon. And at the center of this revival was the reading of God's word. For these several hours, the people listened attentively to God's word. And we read in verse 5 that Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And he opened it and all the people stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and they responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see, the Jewish people have just accomplished a big feat. They finished the walls. They finished the gates of Jerusalem. And then they settled back into their own towns and their own homes. And now the Israelites, they they were coming together rather for the purpose of building the walls and that was God's will for them at that time. But that obviously isn't their only purpose. Building the walls was a vital task, but it wasn't the only task that was before them. The purpose was also for spiritual growth. For what purpose would it be to have a nice wall and a nice building and and nothing going on inside? And this is with churches and with any organizations. The outside can look great, but what about the inside? Or you can ask the same question of ourselves. The outside can look great, but what about the inside? And we come to church with smiles and, and we say all the right things. We put on that great facade. But what is in the hearts? 
there's a story that's told in an organization of a very impressive machine. And it had hundreds of wheels and cogs and pulleys and belts and lights, all which moved or lit up to the touch of one button. And the machine had precision and it would run so smoothly. And when someone asks, well, what does a machine do? And the inventor replied, it doesn't do anything, but it runs beautifully. You see, we're people who love to have information. We come to church so often with the notion of of feed me and, and being fed. Let me learn. And too often Sunday morning actually is set up so that we are trained to receive information. But friends, what do we do with it? We know our scriptures, we we know our confessions, and that all looks great. It's a well-oiled machine. And information is good. But what's next? Now please don't hear me saying that it's useless to only read God's word. Scripture is clear that the power of the word, through the power of the Holy Spirit... Hebrews 4.12 states, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thought and attitudes of the heart. God's word on its own is powerful. But we've heard these words before from James 1.22, which states, Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Reading God's word is a spiritual act on its own. But we must take it further. And we must respond to it. We must be obedient to it. For those who are in small groups in this term, and, and some, many of the groups are, are reading the book, don't invite them to church. And perhaps those who are going through that book, you're feeling discomfort. The discomfort of that obedience And you're feeling that day two is difficult. Acting on God's word is difficult. So here Ezra is reading the word of the Lord. And then people are weeping while they're listening. We've got to ask, like, why are they grieving? Keep in mind that they were Jewish descent. But they were part of the Persian culture. And part of the Persian language. And so they needed explanation of this Hebrew Bible, this Hebrew word. And when they heard the Bible and the explanation, they began to all realize their sins. They realized how guilty they had been. And the Holy Spirit convicted them. The people might have thought that due to their sins, God would have deserted them. But God didn't leave them. The people may have turned away from God, but He was always there. And there to celebrate because God is in their presence. He's standing there, right in their presence, with his arms wide open, ready to receive his people, ready to forgive them, ready to forget their sins. The same word that brought conviction also brings healing, because God forgives. Now, Nehemiah is still in the picture, and he persuades them to see the grace in the word. See the grace in the law. And yes, we should be sorry for our sins and repentant for our sins that we've committed. But God's word and his laws are not to make us continually grieve our sins. 
God's word is a gift to God's people to assist them in holy living. God's word is not something to mourn, but it's something to be celebrated. So this week's activity in in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8 was leading up to uh, a festival. It was leading up to a festival to what was called the Day of Atonement. And this is where the priests would gather the people together. They would gather the people together and sacrifices would be made on behalf of the people. A scapegoat would be released, which would be a visible sign of all the people's sins being carried away. And Nehemiah proclaims to the people to see that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And each year, this scapegoat and the sacrifices brings them closer to that day, that Good Friday, when Jesus' ultimate sacrifice took all our sins upon him. The scapegoat didn't save the people. The law cannot save the people. Our actions do not bring us salvation. The law, God's word, can only point us to Jesus. The law can convict us and point us to Jesus Christ who saves us. As Galatians 3.24 states, So the law was put in charge to lead us to Jesus so that we might be justified by faith. So the Levites tell the people, do not grieve. There's hope. Nehemiah tells the people not to grieve. He tells them to go and eat and to drink and to share and to celebrate. Author and Pastor Warren Wearsby states that the secret of Christian joy is to believe what God says in his word and to act upon it. It's not enough for us to read the word or to receive the word as others preach it. We must rejoice in the word. Celebrate. So day one has gone. And day two has now arrived. And as mentioned, day two can be the more difficult day. It's the day of obedience. And in verse 13, the heads of all the families with priests and Levites gather around Ezra and give attention to the words of the law. Now, give attention is translated as more than just receive information. Give attention implies obedience. They're to hear the word and proclaim the word and then to spread the word to others. So here the people were told to build temporary shacks. They were settled. We hear in verse 1, we read in verse 1, they were settled into their homes. And now they were to build these stick shelters. They were to listen to God's word and obey him, even though it may have seemed to be completely impractical. But this is what God's word said. Heads of the families went out and they gathered sticks with their families. And you have to just picture this for a moment. Sanballat and Geshem, these, these guys from other nations and that were surrounding them, they were opposition. We hear, read about them several times before chapter 8. They're not mentioned in chapter 8, but you can only picture that perhaps they were standing around looking at the, the Jewish people and, and just watching and wondering, like, what is going on with these folks? Gathering twigs and sticks. But the people received the word. Their joy was great. And perhaps they may have been mocked by their enemies, perhaps being challenged with with their mental health even. But joy comes from obedience to God, not from the circumstances surrounding us. They were to tell the people from nearby towns that they were to come together and they were to celebrate. They were to come together and be obedient to the Lord. 
And as verse 17 states, that the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. The people had great gladness. And this is not just from hearing the word, but it's from doing the word. Verse 17. The information that people receive leads to obedience. It leads to transformation. When we read the word throughout the week, and when we gather together as a church body, do we do so out of obligation? Probably to a certain degree we do. An obligation is a strong motive for serving the Lord. But celebration is stronger. When you read the word and you come to church out of celebration, we rejoice in the Lord. As Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. We have to come with an attitude of wanting to give attention. We have to come to want to be transformed, to learn and have a teachable, receptive, humble spirit. Don't you find it intriguing how two people can leave the same worship service and one be so blessed and the other leaves bored or frustrated? With what kind of spirit or attitude are we coming to worship? Let's be open to the power of the Holy Spirit who is able to transform our hearts. We must learn to get over ourselves. We don't come here on our own strength. We come on the strength of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. God's word brings people to conviction and to repentance. But it also brings us joy. As Psalm 19 verse 8 states, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And with the help of the Levites, Nehemiah convinced the people to stop mourning and to start celebrating. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Having joy in the Lord is not only a good feeling. Good feelings, they disappear. They come, they go. But having joy in the Lord is knowing that God is our strength. That He is our Lord God Almighty, who has redeemed His people from all our sins through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The ultimate scapegoat that was sent once and for all to the cross. So celebrate God's faithfulness to His people. Eat, drink, Celebrate on this holy day. As mentioned later in the service, some of the, one of the members of the SALT team will be sharing with us and celebrating what our awesome God has done through obedience of this team. And we can celebrate the obedience of others in our midst. Celebrate the gift of forgiveness of sins. Celebrate all the blessings that God gives to us. Don't grieve the laws that we can't always keep, rather challenge ourselves to live according to the word of God. Challenge ourselves to believe what God's word says and to act upon it in faith and sharing it with others. So may God's word penetrate each of our hearts and may it bring joy to our hearts. May God's word bring about obedience and transformation to his people. That challenging day two. We have heard from the word of the Lord, and let us respond to the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray.
Holy and awesome God, we thank you for your word. Your word that convicts us of our sins. Your word that expresses your grace and love. Your word that puts a plan of salvation clearly before us through your son, Jesus Christ. Your word that gives us direction on how to live our lives for you. Through your spirit, may we be obedient to your word and to live it out in all areas of our lives. And may we not just hear your word, but do your word and share your word with others. Thank you for equipping us and for your spirit upon us. Thank you that the joy of our Lord is our strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.